0: In light of that, would you turn as we can here in our beautiful country uh, to the book of 1 Corinthians to chapter 7, and I know you all are probably like I am itching to put chapter 7 behind us, so we're going to finish chapter 7. So we'll finish finish up all the way to verse 40 uh, tonight in a message I've entitled True Contentment. You're going to see several different life circumstances in this passage of Scripture tonight. And one of the great things that you can glean from it is that God calls us in various stages and states of life. Uh, Some of us were called when we were absolutely destitute. Some of us were called as married people. Some of us called as unmarried people. Some of us called in relative wealth. Some of us called in poverty. We have been called to the Lord in all kinds of different circumstances, and Paul's message to the church is we need to be content where God has called us. Because it is in discontentment that very often we end up creating problems. We, we begin to get stirred up beyond uh, the things of God, and we get stirred up mostly in our circumstances, and look then to change the circumstances instead of allowing God to work in our lives. And so the message tonight, true contentment, and would you join me and we'll pray for a time in the word. We ask, Lord, now that you would move by your spirit to encourage and strengthen your church. As we study your word, Lord, would you speak to us? or would these words be directed as arrows to our hearts? Lord, would our minds be strengthened to receive wisdom and understanding, knowledge into all things that we need for life and godliness? We bless you, and we thank you for tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 17. And I'm going to be reading primarily from the New Living Translation because this particular passage has a number of terms, even in the New King James, uh, which are, are a little less uh, easily understood. And so I'm going to read from a little more modern version, uh, the New Living. But as God has distributed to each one, and the key here is that God has given circumstances, situations, and things into each one of our lives. God is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. And so in his distribution, uh, he chooses to make some married. He chooses to make some unmarried. He chooses some singleness. He chooses some married living. He chooses some to minister in poverty. We're going to India. Uh, you're not going to find, except in the major cities, a lot of what we would call the middle class. There is basically the rich and the poor. Um, That is true in much of the developing world. The Lord has distributed to each of us, as we come to faith in Christ, uh, a certain measure of what we would call the things of life and living. And as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And he's called us all into the ministry. We, we, Whether we like to see it or not, and some people don't, they say, well, you know, I don't mind being saved, but don't get me into this ministry thing. Uh, You can't separate those two things out. If you've been called, you've actually been called in that sense into the ministry, because at the very least, you've been called to minister to the world around you. You've been called to live godly in Christ Jesus. You've been called to be an evangelist with your life and your words. You've been called to be a minister of the gospel. You've been called to be a disciple. You've been called as the children of God. You've been called as the adopted sons and daughters of God. You have been called, and you've been called into ministry. And so each one of us receiving a calling, not all of our circumstances are exactly the same. Amen? We We come from differing places, differing cultures, differing languages at times. The whole world is very diverse, and it's beautifully diverse. And so the Apostle Paul says, "Look, what I really don't want, what God doesn't want, is this whole thing to be homogenized." Now, I, I grew up, you know, drinking milk that was like six, eight percent fat. Okay, everybody remember that when milk actually wasn't, you know, white water. Uh, But it went through the process of homogenization because there was still enough butter fat in it and there was still enough content to the milk that if you didn't homogenize it, it would settle out and there would be a little cream on top and a little butter on top of that. And what the Lord doesn't want is He doesn't want to put all of us into some vat someplace and make us all exactly the same. God actually delights in the diversity represented in this room and in his body, in the world in general. He delights in diversity. He he likes to take us right where we're at and use us exactly as we are in, in every circumstance and situation of life. And so when the church tries to become all one thing, we're actually going against God's perfect will. Because he wants all of the beautiful diversity of circumstance, situation, life, and living that he's placed in us to be available to him so that he can reach people in places where you will specifically be. And so he begins by saying, look. And so I had ordained this in all churches. Was anyone called? And he uses a pretty strange example. And admittedly, this is not one of those things that we would wander around going, "Well, I don't know." That's all that big a deal in our culture today, but it was a huge deal then. It was a monumental deal then, because there were primarily in in the time that these words were written, there were Jews and there were Gentiles, and people were having a tough time. It's like, "Well, how can I serve the Lord if I'm a Jewish believer?" Or how can I serve the Lord if I'm a Gentile believer? Because to be a Gentile believer was to be associated with paganism, and to be a Jewish believer was to be associated with the Jewish law, the sacrifices, and the feast days. And so you had two groups of people. Both of them were called, but about as diverse backgrounds as you could possibly imagine. They were culturally not the same. They were intellectually not the same. And they were absolutely, from an understanding of who God was, not the same. And so he says, hey, check out what he says. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Now, admittedly, there's there's kind of a problem there. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Now, he's talking, of course, about this... Surgical procedure, which would be pretty tough to reverse. But he's really talking about Judaism versus being a Gentile. He's saying if you were a Gentile or if you were a Jew. Circumcision, notice this, is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Now notice what he says. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. He says, living godly in Christ Jesus. He's talking about those things. Remember, Jesus actually is the one that said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Amen? That was Jesus that said that. Don't, Don't forget that God's still holy and God still has a moral code and God still has some things that he's not okay with and some things that he is much more okay with. And and those commandments, as we know them, actually incorporate the entirety of what we would call the Bible. So as the Bible speaks to life and living, we're supposed to keep what God has said to us. Our life is supposed to be governed by the things of God. Keep the commands. That's important. But whether you were Jewish in your understanding or whether you're Gentile in your understanding, that's not quite so important. So when people come to me and they say, well, you kind of overemphasize this whole thing and downplay culture well the bible downplays culture in the life of a believer it's important but it is not so important that culture rises above who we are in christ culture lays below who we are in christ christ is the head of the church and all believers are christians first and then everything else secondary we are followers of the Lord first and everything else secondary. And so we say be content in that because that will join us together. If I put anything else first, if I put being a carnivore above being a Christian, then I'm going to alienate my, my veggie brothers. <laughs> you want to see it in technicolor? Remember when movies used to be announced as in Technicolor? I still like that term. It's old. I don't care. But if you want to see it in 4K HD, we'll use the modern terms 1080p, if you want to see it in that, imagine if you put Republican or Democrat over Christ. You think that'll alienate some people? Sure, it will. And so the Lord says, keep first things first. Put Jesus first as you were called. You see, you don't want something standing in the way of your witness in this world. We're supposed to be content how he called us. God will work out all the rest of those details as we serve the Lord, as we grow in Christ. So keep him first is the picture that's laid out here. He goes on, let no one remain in the same, let each, excuse me, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? And again, I I hate the word. I don't like even saying the word. Let me honor the fact that I hate the word and tell you that I hate it. But in that day and time, there were not entry-level job positions. A vast majority of the Roman world, maybe 40% or more, were what? we know as slaves. They were indentured to someone else. They couldn't go down and get a job at a local store. There was no fast food. There was no Walmart. There was no Target. Uh, There were no public utilities. Uh, There wasn't a government office where you could get a civil service job. There were none of those things. And so people were haves and have-nots to the extreme during that day and time. And generally, if you were not one of the haves you then did have people working for you. In a biblical context, those people were called slaves and some of them very poorly treated and others treated like they were part of the family. And so in that place, he's saying, look, this isn't about immediate social reform. This is about who are you in Christ? And so he says, if you were called as a slave, then be okay with that. Don't be concerned about it, he says. But if you can be made free, which absolutely would be God's desire for all slaves, everyone, because he sets us free, does he not? He takes all of us who were once dead in our trespasses and sins, slave to sin, and sets us free. So God is for freeing everyone from every type of slavery. Every type. Every type. Make no bones about it. Read the history of the abolitionist movement here in our country. Even when we talk about the heinous slavery that plagued our nation, you look and it was Christians who fought that fight first. Because they understood that men were made by God to be free. Not enslaved to anyone. So get that part correct even in its worst context. Don't be concerned about it. For he who was called in the Lord while the slave is the Lord's free man. You're free in Christ. Far greater than all the other things that bind us. Now and again, please make no mistake what I'm saying here. God wants all people who are enslaved for any reason set free. There is no excuse. There's no biblical excuse. And anyone who says there is for any type of slavery to exist anywhere in the world, they do not know their Bible. Because God sets people free from everything, everywhere. And that should be the goal of every person who loves the Lord, is to see all people freed from oppression of every kind, especially those things which bind us those things which enslave anyone else, we should care deeply about that. And likewise, if you're called wall free, you're actually a slave to Christ. You are supposed to be a douloi, a bondslave. slave. You're supposed to say, Lord, it's not me who lives anymore. It's you who live in me. Why? Because you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. And it's an interesting literal rendering there. It literally means don't be enslaved to anyone else. Only be a bond slave to Christ. Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. So it begins by setting the stage of discontent that can get into our lives when, when God calls us The question was this for the people that wrote the question that Paul is answering in this letter, because it appears in the way Paul phrases these things that the church in Corinth had sent him a letter asking some questions, and basically the question was this, I became a Christian, my husband is unsaved, should I divorce him? Now I know there are some that would like me to answer that and say, well of course, And I don't actually mean to make light of that. I've been asked that question. I've had both husbands and wives. Well, I'm walking with the Lord, but my spouse isn't. Should I just leave them? Paul is saying emphatically, no way on the face of the earth. Why? Because God has an opinion about you leaving your spouse. God hates divorce, as we saw last time. So, God's not saying, look, if you're married to an unbeliever, change your spouse. If you're in a bad financial situation, change your job. Unless that job is causing you to sin. I had a situation, true story. I had a couple, both husband and wife, gave their life to the Lord. The husband was actually the manager of a not-so-nice club. I'll leave the type of club out of it, but we have one not very far from here. He was the manager. And he says, well, what should I do? I said, go turn in your resignation. Why? Because what he was doing was sin. He was sinning against God and against his fellow man by continuing to do what he was doing. And so I said to him, you're in sin, you need to quit that job and quit that job today. Call them up on the phone say, you ain't coming back. But that's not what's going on here. That wasn't just there was an obvious sin condition. There was a situation of life. And that situation of life was going to cause them to have to deal with some of those things While God was working out the circumstances of their life, there was no clear sin. It was just life and living. And so he uses this example of circumcision. He was not just simply saying, well, you don't like your job, so change it. And so he uses something that would have been nearly impossible to reverse. He says, don't worry about it. And what he's really saying also is, look, if you're a Gentile believer, you don't need to become a Hebrew believer. Because that was a huge deal. You see, because the Jewish people, in fact, Paul writes the letter to the church at Galatia based on this type of a situation to where the church, was being, the, the church itself, being a mostly Jewish church, was trying to convince people that they needed to basically be Jewish and a Christian, So you had people wearing their kippah and their talis, their prayer shawl. They were coming in and they were keeping the feast days and they were so messed up that they were no longer walking in the liberty that we should have in Christ. They were walking in bondage to the law which we've been set free from. We're supposed to live godly in Christ Jesus. Believers today are not under the obligation to keep the Old Testament feast days. Believers now, today, in our day and time, do not have to cover their heads. But there were those who were saying, well, if being a Gentile believer is like this, then being a Jewish believer actually might be better. So, you, men, you don't need to go buy a, a yarmulke. You don't need to buy a you don't you Don't bring your prayer shawls to church. It's okay. You can still wear your T-shirts and your shorts. God loves you exactly as you are you see what he's saying he's saying look i i called you as southern californians there's a certain culture we have here it's a little less formal than other places in the world you go to some churches dressed the way we're dressed like now you ain't getting in the door sorry So he's saying, look, however you were called, just be you. Just be you. And be the very most like Jesus you you can possibly be. He was reminding him, look, it's it's kind of, you know, I I think in some ways he's really looking at him and he's saying, Man, kind of just could you chill out a little bit? Continue as you're called. Don't let society dictate to you. You let the word of God dictate to you what needs to change in your life. Because I can tell you this, the word of God is going to tell you there's some things that need to change in your life. If you came tonight and you're bitter and mean-spirited and angry, God's probably going to work on that. If you came tonight and you've been harboring some secret sin in your life and God's told you it's clearly sin, he's probably going to work on that. If you've come and you're sitting here tonight and and you think that you can hate your brother for whom Christ died, he's going to work on that. But he's not going to expect you to become something instantaneous. He's going to simply work on you. By the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, he's going to work on those things in your life. Just be the best you you can be. That's pretty easy, isn't it? You you see, sometimes people look at other Christians and go, well, I need to be like that. Or I need to be like that person. Now, while it's good to follow models of people who are being like Christ, Paul actually said that, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a great model. The more you're like Jesus, the more other people should want to be like you because you're like Jesus. But don't get discontented. Because here in this room... There's a lot of different places of growth. We have some people in this room, I'm sure, that are fairly new believers. We have some seasoned saints in this room who've walked with this Lord longer than some of you have been on this earth. So we have different states of spiritual maturity, different states of that sanctification process. Just chill where you're at. Let God work in your life. If he needs to change something, let him have the power to change it. Say yes to those things that he wants to change. But don't freak out if things aren't exactly the way they need to be, because what happens is we begin to make bad decisions. I have watched people do some of the most well-desirous decisions before the Lord Like they want to go to Bible college. And they end up losing their home and their family goes into bankruptcy because they make a snap decision because they just got saved and I want to play catch up and I'm not as mature as I ought to be so I'm going to try and get it done in three weeks. Chill out. If God wants you to go to Bible college he'll make a way for you to go to Bible college. It's a great goal. It's a noble goal but it's also not for everybody. God has to call you to that. Make sure you're listening for the calling of God. He says, where I've called you, do that. You see, people get messed up when they start to act in haste. Paul goes on now, and he's going to begin to talk about some additional issues of singleness. He says, now about the young women, and again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you have the word virgin there, it means an unmarried woman who's young. About the young women who are not yet married. I did not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his kindness has given me the wisdom that can be trusted, and I'm going to share it with you. Because of this present crisis, there's a bunch of different ways to look at what the Apostle Paul is saying here because of the fact the Lord is coming soon because of the Roman persecution, because of the way the world is today, because the world is a mess today too, isn't it? Because of the present darkness that's in our world today, because of the difficulty with which you will all face eventually living your life in an unchristian world for the most part, because of that difficulty, he says, look, let me talk to you a little bit. Anybody in here experienced the difficulty of being single? How about the ones of us that have been the difficulty of being married in this world? You see, both have their problems, amen? And I don't see that. I'm raising my hand because being married is difficult. It has its own set of problems because I can't be selfish. You know what my Bible says about me as a man? I am to die for my wife guys, that's kind of tough, isn't it? Sometimes you're sitting there with your feet on the coffee table and you got your nachos in front of you. Now, Connie's actually a more rabid Dodger fan than I am, so we we kind of get along in this, but I'm using it by way of example. You can't just do your own thing. Well, you know, I don't feel like going to work today, sweetheart. You know, could you like call somebody and see if they'll pay our mortgage this month? You can't do that. Because a man who does not provide for his own home, Paul wrote to Timothy, is worse than an unbeliever. So the married person has some things that come into their life because they're married, and the single person has some things in their life. Maybe it's just some loneliness. Maybe they really would like to be married, but they're not quite sure. And so each deals with a certain set of problems. And so Paul addresses it. But I think it's best that you remain just as you are. Exactly where you've been called. You you see, Paul's basically saying, I don't really have a command in this. But marriage is not going to solve all your problems, folks. I have people, sometimes who will come to me and they're talking about marriage and all those things and they'll go, well, it's going to fix this, 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 and this. Look. Married people still deal with sexual temptation, even though, as we just saw, one of the purposes for marriage is so that you don't have to deal with sexual temptation, but just because you get married, your brain doesn't get turned off. Amen? Somebody say amen. (laughs) You people. (laughs) How about anger? Do you all of a sudden become unangry because you're married? No. If you had an issue with anger, you're just going to be a married angry person. Right? How about financial difficulties? Well, now you're going to have two incomes and two sets of bills. Or three if you have kids. Or five. Yeah, the problems are not relative to whether you're married or unmarried. They're just different based on your marital status. Married people have problems. Unmarried people have problems. So Paul just says, look, be content where you're at. If you're married, don't seek to be unmarried. And if you're not married, don't, seek, don't put all your time, effort, and energy into finding your spouse. Put all your time, effort, and energy into serving the Lord. Just be, just be happy where you're at. And if God wants to change your marital status, he will do that. He's going to bring that person into your life. In other words, he says, entertain at least a call to singleness. Singleness. Basically what he's really saying is put a single-minded devotion into into your relationship with the Lord and everything else follows along where it needs to go. So very often we try and solve these issues of life and then ask God to bless it. And God is saying, "Why don't you let me change you and bless you and I'll change those things in your life?" We've got it backwards. We have to put him first. Do you see how this all works? That's why James's admonition is submit yourself. That's why the admonition to us who are married, to us husbands, submitting yourselves to the Lord. That's a command to both the husband and the wife, by the way. Put Christ first. If he's first, everything else ends up in its right place. And so he's basically saying, look, why don't you try and avoid some of these distractions of life? The ultimate goals of life are not a better job. The ultimate goals of life are not a greater career. And let me be really clear, having a better life, having a better career, doing better in education, all those things are absolutely fine with God, but not if they drag you away from the Lord. If they remove you from God's blessing, if they pull you away from your walk with God, then you're going the wrong direction. And I've watched people who have sought after career and sought after wealth that have ended up absolutely miserable and destitute before a holy God. And I've watched people who did not seek after those things be blessed beyond measure. So it's up to God to give you what he wants you to have. You submit yourself first to him. That's what he wants us to do. You see, then we trust him. Then we have faith in him. Then we rest in him. And then all of your effort and your time, your talent, your treasure, the things that you invest in life anyway are invested in the right way. You see, without putting him first, if we get distracted by the things of life, then pretty soon we can start walking down roads that God actually never intended for us to walk down. You you can get caught up in that stuff. And before you know it, you're going, man, how did I get here? Well, you followed the rabbit trail of the things of the world. Because the enemy puts one distraction in front of you and then when you follow after that one, you're a little further away from the Lord and then he puts another one out there and you're a little further still away from the Lord and before you know it, you're full-blown in Egypt. You're like, how did I get here? It's called distraction. The enemy is not going to come to you and look you in the eye and go, I'm trying to send you to hell right now. Could you follow me? You understand what I'm saying? He's going to give you a little distraction. And that little distraction could be something as simple as a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That little distraction could be something as a overemphasis of financial prosperity. Notice how I worded that. There should be an emphasis that you have on taking care of what God's called you to take care of. If you're married, you have things that you need to do to take care of your family. But an overemphasis towards the things that are not going to be beneficial to you, to where you do not have time for the things of God, can be a distraction. You're over here and you don't even, you don't even next year you might have time for God. You don't have time for a prayer life. You don't have time for a devotional life. You don't have time for church. You don't have time to be the priest of your own home. You don't have time to even be kind to anyone as you should be in the Lord because your God is actually seeking after wealth. And again, make no mistake, you can be wealthy and serve the Lord. You can be monumentally wealthy and serve the Lord. God's got to be first, and the money's got to be underneath your family. Do you hear what I said? God, your relationship with the Lord, your family, and then wealth and career. That's God's plan for everybody. He wants to be first, and the relationships he's created for you are to be second, and then everything else. But a distraction comes in... I was like, "Well, I got this new multi-level marketing thing I'm going to do, and I can make an extra hundred thousand dollars a week." You ever noticed how they always give you some like crazy? If it seems too good to be true, it is. Okay, just saying. No one buys hundred-pound blocks of healthy chocolate. (laughs) Just saying. But you have a lot of Christians. It's like, oh, well, it's a Christian company. They have a fish on their card. (laughs) You've all met them, right? They tried to sell you some of that $900 a pound chocolate. God wants us to be focused on his things. Those things become distractions. Now all of a sudden your friends are running away from you, the people that you should, because you're coming with your box of chocolate. (laughs) Instead of armloads of Jesus. And people don't want to be around you because you don't have anything to really offer them. You see, saying, avoid that. Everything that God gives us, he gives us because he wants to still be able to use it. We're just stewards of the things of God. In a a very real sense, we don't own anything while we're here. Have you ever noticed when someone dies, everything they owned is still here? You ever ever figured that out? (laughs) It's like, I have gone to memorial services where I'm looking at the casket and I'm going, man, I'd like to have the cash for that. Seriously. Seriously, it's like, $100,000 right there. They're not enjoying it, because they're not there. But, but we get focused in on the things of this world, and all of a sudden things that shouldn't mean a thing to us mean everything to us. And things that should mean everything to us don't mean anything to us. Those are distractions. And I'm not saying you shouldn't honor your loved ones who have passed. But what I am saying is you can get distracted. Gotta be careful because the enemy wants to do that. Your resources belong to God. Your home belongs to God. Your cars belong to God. Everything you have that's in your possession that you have control over actually is not yours. It belongs to God. And so if you let those things become a distraction instead of a blessing, look, a motorhome can be a blessing. A boat can be a blessing. An airplane can be a blessing. A big house can be a blessing when it's used for the Lord. But if it's not used for the Lord, then here's what happens. You start serving it instead of it serving the Lord. And now all of a sudden, your concern is those things. Your concern's not the Lord. You're no longer content. Well, how do we do this? And how do we fix that? And how are we going to pay for this? And what are we going to do with this? And all of a sudden, you don't have time for God. You don't want to get there. And so the apostle Paul is saying to us, look, be content. Verse 32. You see what he says at the end there is concern yourself because happiness, sadness, or wealth should not keep anyone from doing God's work. Then in verse 31, and those in frequent contact with the things of the world should make good use of them without becoming attached to them for this world and all it contains will pass away. You're going to come in contact with the things of the world. Yeah, I was over at the curry house today. I'm like, yeah, give me some of that curry. (laughs) But my life isn't all about curry. I enjoy it. You see, but sometimes we get so hung up on our favorite things. You know, we start doing the sound of music thing. Raindrops on roses and whiskers. Give <laughs> me a BMW and a house in Dallas Verdes. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? We can get hung up on stuff. And all of a sudden, I- instead of God giving you those things, you being able to enjoy it, you're trying to get it. And you no longer enjoy it. It's not a favorite thing anymore. Because I'm telling you, if you go eat curry every day, it will not be your favorite thing anymore. Right? You who are going to India, this is true. (laughs) Moderation all going to pass away. It's all going to, you could say it's all going to burn because it is. Eventually one day it's all leaving because you're leaving. It's staying, you're going, it's staying here, you're leaving it behind. Treat it that way. It's like, it's great to have, but if I don't have it, it isn't the end of eternal things. Verse 32 In everything you do, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. Oh, underline that verse. In everything, being freed from the concerns of this life. Can you imagine if everybody actually lived that way? Now, I realize that some might say, well, that's kind of a little bit, you know, it's over the top there, Jeff. But that is really how God wants us to live. Not weighted down, not burdened. If God has you live in a tent, live happy in a tent. And I don't say that flippantly. This is really one of the secrets to contentment in life. Because if everything is about comparing what you don't have with what someone else does have, you will always be discontented. Do you understand that? If my place of contentment is so-and-so has this and I don't have it, then I'm never going to be content. I was flipping, I don't know if you ever do this, but sometimes you get those articles on, on internet news where it's like, you know, the 50 most awesome yachts or whatever. I was cracking up. I'm looking, these things are small cities and they're owned by people. It's like, I could, we could have church on one of them. I was looking, Steven Spielberg. He's got a 287 foot yacht. We had cruisers during the Second World War smaller than that. I'm just saying. So he's got this yacht. And you, I'm, I'm looking at the pictures of the bedrooms and stuff and go, yeah, I'd like to have that. Everything any of us in this room have compared to that is downhill. And so while you're looking at it, you go, oh, yeah. I don't have a yacht. No, and you don't have to pay the $237,000 a month that it costs to keep it in the water. Anybody in here like to just have the 237K a month? (laughs) Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) I give half of it away and still live good, you know? (laughs) but yeah, so that's the the point. Yeah, you sure, you've got the yacht, but you've got the bills to go with the yacht. You want to be free from the concerns of this life. I'll tell you what, people like that are very concerned with the things of this life. I was reading an article about Floyd Mayweather, you know, incredible boxer. But he said his life stunk. There's a nickname, Mo Money, right? Not exactly broke. But the gist of the article was he hated his life because he had to make that kind of money to sustain his life. He hated it. Don't let that be you. you got to be careful. The things of this life can entangle us. And so to an unmarried man, he can spend his time doing the work of the Lord and thinking how to please God, how to please Him, how to please the Lord. But a married man can't do that so well. You see, an unmarried man is free of those cares. You decide you want to live under, in a tent someplace in the middle of Mongolia, you can just go do it. I know that sounds crazy, but you can go do that as an unmarried person. You cannot call your wife and your kids, I'm going to Mongolia. (laughs) If you're a married man, you have obligations before the Lord. You've actually got some other duties that God's called you to. He's actually appointed you to and anointed you to, and you need to take them seriously. So he's really being very practical. He's saying, look, if you're unmarried, there are some things that you can do. But the married person also has some things that they can do that are unique. They can be involved in ministry where there might be some sexual temptation that would be hard for an unmarried person to withstand. And so there there are things that are beneficial about both sides. He has to think about his earthly responsibilities, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can spend more Time devoted to the Lord in body and in spirit, while the married woman is concerned about her earthly responsibilities how to please her husband, how to take care of the house, how to take care of the kids, what to do with all those things. Who's going to do the, who's driving to school today? Amen, ladies? You got concerns. How to teach your husband how to do his own laundry. You know what I'm saying? Don't pretend it isn't a big deal. <laughs> oh, just kidding. But sometimes we get worked up like that, right? It's like, oh man, laundry again. Vacuuming again. Can I make a confession? I actually like vacuuming. I have no idea why. Okay, so I'm not coming over and vacuuming your house. But actually, I don't know what it is. It's like, it's, uh, it's like a job and I can, it's like it doesn't mean anything. So it's like, Nobody's going to become unsaved from it. If I do it wrong, nobody's going to hell. Concerns of the world. I just showed you how to have joy vacuuming. Hold your husbands to that, please. Pastor Jeff enjoys it. I say this for your own benefit, verse thirty-five, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote good order and unhindered devotion to the Lord. It goes on. If anyone thinks he's acting inappropriately or improperly towards uh, towards that virgin or towards that unmarried young woman he's engaged to, she's getting along in years. In other words, she's getting a little older. You know, kind of either marry her or let her go, guys. This whole thing, I read an article today. This couple that they were in their early 20s, they'd been dating since high school. I'm thinking, you ain't got no clue. It's like, how long are you going to play that game? Either marry or don't. But don't pretend that you're one of, you know, that you're someplace in the middle. You're not. And the implication was, well, we do everything that married couples do. Well, you're not supposed to be doing everything married couples are doing. Either marry her or don't marry her. she do as he, want, as he wants. He's not sinning if he marries or doesn't marry. But they should get married. But a man who's settled in the matter in his own mind, who's under no compulsion, but under control over his own will, who's made up his mind not to marry the, the virgin woman, the, the young unmarried woman, and then this man also does right in the eyes of the Lord. And so the person who marries does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better. And the reason the Apostle Paul says that is the focus is devotion to God. That's the only reason. Because the unmarried person ha- has devotion to God, a singleness of purpose, or at least can, no extraneous things on their plate but he says a woman who is, is bound, or a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. And so he says, don't get entangled. Serve the Lord. If you want to get married, get married. If you don't, don't, but serve the Lord. But in my opinion, I think it would be better if she doesn't marry again. I think I'm giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. Basically, Paul is saying, be content. Be content. Right where God's called you. Enjoy what the Lord's doing in your life. Enjoy how He's working in your life. You don't need to become a Jewish believer. Just be a believer. You don't need to become a Gentile believer. Just be a believer. You don't need to become a married believer. Just be a believer. Or an unmarried, just be a believer who wholeheartedly loves the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And oh, by the way, loves everybody else the way Jesus loves them. Amen? (laughs) Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. I'll have a few pastors come forward. Maybe you've got a prayer need tonight. You just want to pray with somebody. They'll be available for you for prayer. Be content. Just love the Lord. Let him change things that need to be changed. Enjoy life, you know. So a lot of things that we get to enjoy on this earth while we're still here that the Lord's graced us. Don't miss out on the blessings. Looking for things you don't have, be thankful for what you do have. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you that you care about all of the details of life. And Lord, I pray for people tonight. We pray together for those tonight that maybe they're going through a time of discontentment. Perhaps there's something, maybe there's some tonight that are not married that want to be married. And maybe there are some tonight who are desperately trying to figure out what their marriage is supposed to look like. Or there's a little discontentment in their marriage. And I pray, God, we pray together that you would heal our discontentment and fill it with you. Lord, help us to be more like you each day. Lord, we are grateful for your love for us and how you, Lord, have placed us uniquely in the body of Christ. Lord, you only made one of each of us and you're super thankful for each of us. And so God, would we be equally thankful for what you're doing and what you're allowing in our lives. We bless you. We thank you for all that we have pray that our lives would bring you glory and honor and praise. We ask all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. God's people all said. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.